sense and simple observation, along with psychological research, show us that children often grow up and mimic the behavior of their parents. You've heard these phrases, I'm sure, many times. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Or maybe someone will say they're a chip off the old block, or like father, like son, she is definitely her mother's daughter. All of these remind us of that truth, that children are often like their parents. And this is both encouraging and embarrassing. How many times have your children done something and Maybe if you're in the context of your own parents, you will say, I just can't believe they did that, and your parents will say to you, I can. I know exactly where that comes from. Statistics show us that children imitate bad behavior. Parents who smoke are likely to have kids who do the same. That's true with alcohol, drugs, domestic violence. The abused are more likely to abuse. And many of the difficulties that we are facing in our world today from a modern generation merely is the result of lack of love from a former generation who did not parent as they should have, and the kids are just acting like their parents. But thankfully, there are those times when the kids imitate the good side, the flip side, positive behaviors. So we see also there is in parents who have a notable, proper degree of self-esteem and confidence that kids, their kids tend to have the same thing. Parents who succeed in school, who work hard in their professions, often have children who do the same. And while it's not always true, it's the good marriage that has the tendency then to replicate itself in the marriages that the kids find themselves in. But we might ask ourselves the question, how come? How come children are often like their parents? Well, the Center for Parenting and Education say this. Part of the explanation for why qualities of parents are often repeated in their offspring is genetic, indicating the power of nature that is hereditary. Part of the explanation also lies in the impact of the environment in which the child is raised, which is referred to as nurture. So the answer to the age-old question, why do children often seem so much like their parents, is probably both nature and nurture. It is genetic to a certain degree, but it is relational environmental in the sense of time spent with one another. It's nature and nurture. And when I read that statement, I was reminded that this is exactly the premise the Apostle Paul is making in the book of Ephesians, that we are to act like God because we have his nature and we are being nurtured by his spirit to grow into his likeness. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to the book of Ephesians, and I just want to remind you a little bit about nature and nurture. Chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians tells us that we once were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We used to follow the ways of the world, 
under the control of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who now works in those who are disobedient. Verse 3 says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So our nature, born into this world, is to be disobedient to the king and to follow the rebel, the prince of the power of the air. But verse 4 tells us, because of God's great love for us, and I hope you get that concept deep into your soul, God dearly loves you. Because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, by grace we have been saved. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms, and we are now made alive, no longer dead, a new nature. So that Paul can say in verse 11, formerly you were like the Gentiles. But he says in verse 19, no longer are you like this. You're no longer foreigners and aliens and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. You're made alive in Christ. So Paul makes it the focus of his prayers, and there are major prayers in the book of Ephesians, the prayer that we might know this, that we might know him. Chapter 1, verse 17, I keep praying, keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. The triune God wants to be revealed to you. And the great prayer of chapter 3, chapter 3, Paul prays that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. This is verse 17. And I pray that you being rooted and grounded in his love. Did you catch that? Chapter 2 says he loves us greatly. Chapter 3 says, oh, I pray that you'll be rooted and grounded in this love because there's no way to navigate this wicked world without being firmly convinced that God loves you. Verse 18, and I pray that you might have power together with all the saints to know, to grasp how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So when he comes to chapter 4, he says the same thing. You have a new nature, therefore you need to live in a totally different way. You, you need to nurture yourself in the things of God. Verse 17, don't walk like the Gentiles walk anymore. Chapter 4, verse 23, be made new in the attitude of your mind. And then in a very practical way, he says start putting off those activities, attitudes, habits, behaviors of the old man, put them off like dirty, infected garments and put on the new man. Verse 24, this is chapter 4, verse 24. Put on the new man or the new self that is created to be like God. You were created to be like God. Now, it doesn't say you were created to be God, but to, created to be like God. 
We were made, Genesis chapter 1, in the image of God. And when we fell into sin, that image was defiled. And now God wants to renew us in our minds and in our lives so that we can be again created or we can behave like we were created to be in the image of God. So he talks about things to put off and things to put on. And he summarizes it when we come to chapter 5 with this amazing phrase. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 be imitators of God. Wow, that's an amazing statement. The Greek word behind the English word imitate is actually the word mimic. We are to mimic God. Imitate God. I tell you, this is an astonishing command and shocking. Be like God. Usually the word mimic is used in a negative context. Uh, we lampoon someone. It's a parody. It's a caricature that is made to ridicule where someone impersonates another's voice and mannerisms in an exaggerated way, often to make fun of them or to be entertaining. But that's not what this means at all. This means simply to be like you were created to be imitate god so paul gives us six things we need to take off and six things we need to put on but to summarize it all he says just be like god just be like god by the way this is a command it isn't optional we are to follow god in his character we are after all according to 2 Peter chapter 1, partakers of the divine nature. And when you are born again, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are made new creatures, your nature has been changed. So live like your father. Wouldn't it be great if someone came up to you and said in the spiritual sense, like father, like child? Wouldn't that be nice? You look just like your dad. And that's what we ought to be striving for. That's what Paul says is the epitome and the height of living the Christian life. Now, we are not to be God. We will never be gods in the sense of having all that God has in his divine nature. When you look at the attributes of God, theologians like to divide it into two categories. There are the attributes of God that, that are incommunicable meaning they cannot be communicated, they cannot be shared with people. The incommunicable attributes of God, like the fact that He is everlasting, or He is majestic, or He is omnipotent, and omniscient, and omnipresent, these are attributes of God that He doesn't share with His creation. But there are communicable attributes of God. And he's been talking about them like in verse 32 of chapter 4. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving, just as Christ in God forgave you. Remember God said, be holy because I am holy. That's a communicable attribute of God. So Paul is not saying become gods. He's saying act 
in a holy fashion. Act act God-like. Be godly. Be Christ-like. Let that be your goal. And spend your energy and time trying to imitate Him. We are a world of imitators. If someone is successful, we want to imitate them. If a business does well, they want to franchise their self. We want to imitate everyone around us trying to get ahead. And we ought to spend our time and energy trying to be like Christ. Now that is indeed an astonishing command. But it is connected with an amazing truth, a magnificent truth. It says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. In other words, understand who you are. And then you can begin to respond and act like your father. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Imitate God in everything you do because you are his children. How many times I can remember my my father saying something to me like stop doing this or start doing that. And it it was often because he was embarrassed with my behavior. He didn't always say it in these words, but he says, you are a dishonor to the family name. And so start acting in a consistent way, worthy of your calling, worthy of your parentage. And Paul uncovers this magnificent truth that we are dearly loved, and I can't get over how important this is, because most people who cannot function in this world are having trouble functioning in this world because they don't believe that they are loved. Right? Two people decide to get married. Nature neither had nurturing, loving parents themselves, so they don't even know how to love. One came from a very strict family that never expressed any type of affection. There was no hugging. There was no saying, I love you. And that's the environment they grew up in. The other grew up in a very insecure environment. The parents were not always around. Sometimes they would be gone, and they were never convinced of the love of their parents, so they were looking for love in all the wrong places and never found it. But then these two decided that they would get married because probably marriage is the secret to love, and I'll get married, and boom, I'll find love. How many of you, how many couples have gotten married with that in mind? This is the secret. And then they find out that they married someone who doesn't know how to love. They married someone who's extremely selfish or extremely insecure. And that only makes the situation worse because now in the most intimate of relationships, they don't feel loved. And they feel that the problem is with them. And they begin to go off again trying to find acceptance, trying to find love in eating and shopping and drinking and drugs and sex and on and on it goes. And then they take their life because this world is a world without love. (laughs) No, it's not. The greatest love in all the world is the love of Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And when you trust Him as your Lord and Savior, for God so loved the world that He sent His Son, when you trust His Son, God's love comes pouring into your heart by the Holy Spirit, we're told in the book of Romans. The Holy Spirit fills our heart with the love of God. Go back to chapter 2. I want you to see it again in verse 4. Because of His great love for us. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. You are not just loved, you are, what's the adjective? Dearly loved. Loved by God. Dearly loved. And that's what he wants you to understand. This is reminiscent of what the Father said about the Son. When Jesus was baptized, he said, the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son, and in some translations, in whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, the voice came from heaven once again and said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And reminiscent of that statement, God says to us, you are my beloved children. He looks at us and speaks of us the same way he does Jesus. I can't get over that. Nor should we. If we somehow could be stirred by the love of God so that every day we wake up thinking, this may be a difficult day, but God loves me. And that's what I need to know. I think it was Abraham Kuyper, the great theologian, who for a period of time was prime minister of one of the Scandinavian countries. A brilliant thinker. And when he was on his deathbed, was asked to give some final words, and they were hoping that these words would have wonderful insight to them. And this great theologian, brilliant man, simply said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And there's nothing more powerful than that. You want to be a good spouse? Be convinced that God loves you, and then you can love. You cannot love until you're convinced you are loved. I remember a, a leader who was involved in a Christian ministry looking for some counselors, and he said this, do you know of anyone who can counsel? And this was basically the description of who he's looking for. I need counselors who are not so occupied with their own problems so they can help others with theirs. I need counselors who have some understanding that they are loved by God and not so overwhelmed by their own problems so that they can actually minister to other people. That's one of the reasons why you don't help other people. You think you can't because you're too consumed with your own problems, which stem from the fact that you don't know how much God loves you. How much does he love you? The cross. Right? The cross. In fact, that's what Paul says here. He says, I want you to imitate God, which means to live a life of love, to walk in love, verse 2. 
Walk in love because you are dear children of God. Imitate God's love because you're his children. And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We are to love like Jesus, who is the ultimate model, the perfect example of what love is. And real love involves sacrifice. Love is the test of the Christian life. Remember reading 1 Corinthians 13? If I have the tongue of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm like a gong clanging or a cymbal banging, but I make no real communication. If I say I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge and faith so that I can move mountains, but I have not love, I am what? Nothing. (laughs) Try that in a counseling session. If you don't have love, you are nothing. You're empty. So where are you going to find love? Don't go to all the wrong places. Come to the one who loves you so much he gave himself for you. And if I give everything I possess to the poor and even surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. I say nothing, I am nothing, I gain nothing. Love is the test of the Christian life. And God is not vague about love. God is not abstract about love. God describes love and defines love by the way it behaves. Continue reading in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not rude. Love does not keep a record of wrongs done to it. Love does not envy or boast. It is not proud or self-seeking. It's not easily angered. That's what love does, and that's the best way to understand what love is. So when God wants to describe love, he says, look at what Jesus did. Greater love has no one than this. That a person will lay down their life for their friends, and you are my friends. I love what it says in verse 2. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up. Jesus gave himself up. Some people describe the cross as though Jesus were merely passive and submissive. If he could have gotten out of it, he would have, they say. Of course, you and I know he could have called 10,000 angels and immediately been rescued. But they say that Jesus was just a martyr to a cause and taken against his will and placed on the cross. Oh no, he is not the supreme pacifist. Jesus was active in his surrender. Read John chapter 10 sometime and count how many times the Bible says he gave himself up. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life, gives up his life for the sheep. I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. 
No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. Jesus gave up his life. That's the definition of real love. While we were yet sinners, Jesus gave up his life for us. So keep this in mind when you realize that you are dearly loved. He paid the supreme price. And it goes on to describe in picture form the Old Testament sacrifices. Christ gave himself up for us just like the Old Testament offerings. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. The word offering is the broadest of terms, but often was used to describe an offering brought from the field or maybe the fruit of the trees. It was an offering. But a sacrifice was an offering that included the shedding of blood. A sacrifice usually involved an animal. And in the book of Leviticus, we're told that these sacrifices would be brought to the priest and he would place his hands on them and the animal would become the victim. And the hands of the priest would transfer the sins of the people through the mediator of the priest to the animal and then the animal would be slain and the blood offered and one animal would be sent as a scapegoat to go running away to hide. All of that imagery was to show that our sins were placed on the victim and life was lost so that we could be forgiven and our sins are gone. And now in the New Testament, Jesus said, I'm the Lamb of God. I shed my blood for your sins. And what is it to God? What is the sacrifice of Christ to God? Did you see it is a fragrant offering? Euodia is the Greek word from what we get, where we get the English word odor. It is a good odor. Now we never use those terms. What a sweet odor. We would say what a sweet fragrance. And thus it is translated here. What a sweet savor. Aren't there some smells that you just cannot stand? We have a fragrance-free zone in the back here for people who cannot stand too much perfume. And aren't there some smells that you just love? Thinking of chocolate chip cookies, it's warm in the oven. It's a horrible thing to say at 10.30 in the morning. Thanksgiving dinner cooking back home. You love those smells, don't you? Now, God doesn't love the smell of a dying animal, but he loves the satisfaction that it wins. He loves the redemption that it purchases. He loves the smell because of what it actually secures. It comes up to heaven as a sweet smell, the sacrifice of Jesus and I simply tell you this, if God accepted the sacrifice of his son, you should too. You say, you don't know my sins. Jesus died for them all. One of the reasons you can't love other people is because you can't think that God would love you. Your sins are so great. And he says, look at what Jesus did. Look at the sacrifice of my son. And if I can accept his sacrifice, your sins are gone. 
and I dearly love you. So act like it. God is love. We are dearly loved. So let's mimic God and love others just like Christ. By the way, did you notice that he is saying imitate the Father and imitate the Son? The two are one. Imitate the Father and live just like Jesus because that's what love does. We had to go through, once again, a horrendous shooting in our country down in Parkland, Florida, the Parkland School. 17 people died as of last count that I'm aware of. When would it, will it ever stop? The only hope for our world is Christ and God's love. But there was a heroic story that came out of that horrible massacre. It was a 37-year-old assistant football coach by the name of Aaron Faze. He was also a part-time security guard at the school. And he shielded the students and took the bullets himself and saved lives, but he was one of the 17 victims. That's love. By the way, Jesus is basically saying to us, if you want to love others, it's going to involve sacrifice. In fact, when he talks about marriage, look at verse 25 of chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. That's the definition of love. What is love? You love a cherished object so much, a, a person so much, you're willing to give your life up for them. That's love. So what do you love? What do you give up your free time for? What do you give up your money for? What do you love? Could you do something this week in a loving way of giving yourself up for someone else? And, and if they find out it's you, could you tell them I'm doing this because Jesus loves me? Could you embrace the love of God to the point where you'll begin to live a life of love, mimicking God and living just like Jesus? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gains I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my selfish pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast except in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things in this world that charm me most, I give them up, I sacrifice them to your blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Let's pray. Lord, it is my prayer this morning that everyone here would be convinced that God loves them. For God so loved 
the world. And if they are not believers, that today they would embrace, embrace that love by faith. Lord, it is my purpose today that every believer would know that they are dearly loved children. Your love was so great for us that you saved us by grace and made us your own. And you use the same terminology that you use with your son Jesus when you're talking about us, my beloved children. So Lord, help us to live like you, to mimic you in your compassion and forgiveness and love and mercy and grace. And help, help us to give ourselves up like Jesus did so that we can love those around us until they come to faith in Christ. Until the church lives like it ought to live. Loving one another so that marriages are healthy and whole because we love one another and give ourselves up for each other. Teach us to love as you have loved us. In Jesus' name.